This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program, which unfortunately I must open with a bit of sadness. A good friend of Radio Parallax passed away this week. Local comedian Michael O'Connell has left us. If you're on Facebook, you might want to check out the outpouring of goodwill and thanks, which people are uh, expressing over the the life and the friendship these folks have had with Mr. O'Connell. If you go to our archives at radioparallax.com, you will find uh, several instances of our chats with Michael. He was always a great interview subject and without a doubt a very funny guy. He did a goodly number of shows in conjunction with the Comedians with Disabilities Act. Michael was confined to a wheelchair for much of his last few years, to which he noted, as, as, as only he could, that there was an upside to this in being a comedian in that uh, you didn't get any hecklers. He was a funny man and, by all accounts, an, a very good person, and we, we are truly sorry at his loss. But we do hope that you will take the time to, if nothing else, listen to what uh, we recorded with Michael over the past years and uh, see if it can't still put a smile on your face. This story is something of a double tragedy for us in that uh, our former aviation correspondent who passed away two years ago, Vladimir Zarevika, coaxed Michael into becoming a comedian which turned out to have been a, a very good move. Uh, Vlado himself could have been, uh, I think, a pretty accomplished stand-up comic if he'd put his mind to it. And uh, without a doubt, this show is impoverished by the loss of both of these men. But let us start today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 30th of June. It was on this date 108 years ago, June 30th in 1908, The herders in the sparsely populated area of Siberia witnessed a giant fireball in the sky with a trail that stretched over 800 kilometers. A huge object impacted the earth with 2,000 times the force of the atomic bomb that leveled Hiroshima. The impact was noted around the globe. It is believed that a fairly substantial comet or asteroid struck the earth over Siberia, and exploded in mid-air. Because to this day, no impact crater or debris from the collision has ever been found. A similar event in Siberia took place recently over the city of Chelyabinsk. On June 30th in 1934, Hitler ordered the killing of leaders of the SA stormtroopers and others in what would become known as the Night of the Long Knives. Nazi head of propaganda Joseph Goebbels claimed that Ernst Röhm and others were plotting to overthrow Hitler. In reality, it rid the party of its more radical but socially progressive forces. On a happier note, on June 30th in 1936, the 40-hour work week became federal law here in the U.S. And you know, we don't think that June 30th really pulls its weight in the This Day in History category. We're going to borrow an item from July 1st. It was July 1st in the year 96 that two Egyptian legions hailed Vespasian, a Roman general, as the emperor of Rome. And Vespasian did actually become the emperor. There are quite a few trivia items we could probably cite about Vespasian, but I do have a favorite I'd like to mention. 
which is that Vespasian got stinking rich by the tax he put on Rome's public lavatories. I was tickled to learn from my traveling companion Gordon while in Croatia that to this day, the French still refer to public urinals as Vespasian's. Also, apparently when someone criticized the emperor for his use of this tax to get rich, legend has it he handed a silver coin gained from such taxation to his critic and pointed out to him, it doesn't stink. And we ask you, dear listener, where but on Radio Parallax do you gain such valuable tidbits of information? Our quote today comes from author Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who said, It is not true that people stop pursuing dreams because they grow old. They grow old because they stop pursuing dreams. Our quote today, and we've used it before, but by God, we're going to use it again, has been attributed to Yogi Berra, but we don't think this one really came from Yogi. But it's pretty good just the same, and it is as follows. In theory, there's no difference between theory and practice. In practice, there is. Our joke today comes from the writers of Conan O'Brien, who said in a speech, Donald Trump said thousands of people in the United States are sick with hate. Then Trump said, I'd like to thank them for their support. Our good news item for today's show is that HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm is coming back. Turns out the eighth and most recent season of the show dated back to 2011. But Larry David and Jeff Garland and others have apparently amassed enough material to give us another round. We're excited by this, if for no other reason, for a chance to get more of the comedy stylings of J.B. Smoove. Our stat of the day, and we're, we are tired of stats like this, but we got to do them is that last month was the hottest May in recorded history and the 13th straight month of record-breaking heat. May's global average of 60.17 degrees Fahrenheit was 1.57 degrees above the 20th century average. And although we consider the next item to be a good news item, we're going to use it for our anecdote today. The story is that a 64-year-old bank courier recently became the nation's first recipient of a penile transplant. Thomas Manning underwent a complex 15-hour operation at the Mass General Hospital to replace the organ he lost to cancer with one from a deceased donor. Manning says the procedure, first successfully performed in South Africa two years ago, wasn't necessary to save his life, but rather to restore his sense of self. I want to go back to being who I was, he told the New York Times. Manning's doctors are optimistic he will regain sexual functioning within a few months. And you can bet we will follow up on this story. Speaking of follow-up, we don't know whether uh, our coverage on Radio Parallax had anything to do with the fact that this item went from the B section of the Sacramento Bee to page one, but we hope so. We noted with some incredulity on last week's show the uh, the argument being offered by... um, a public defender in Sacramento regarding a case. And uh, we're happy to report that cooler heads evidently prevailed. Last Thursday in Sacramento, U.S. District Judge Troy Nunley ruled that police did not overstep their bounds when they used a suspect's cell phone to track him down and related to a separate kidnapping case. The attorney for Matthew Muller tried to argue that the entire case rested upon an illegal search by Dublin police when they found Muller's cell phone inside a home he had broken into, then fled after one of the homeowners fought with him. The defense attorney tried to argue that the phone 
could not be searched because the burglar in this case, Mr. Mueller, had not intended to leave it behind at the scene of the crime. Judge Nunley refused the request made, saying that Mueller had no right of privacy for something he left behind in a home he had broken into. We'll do what we can to follow this case, too. It doesn't go to trial till like, January 30th, but we'll see what we can do. And speaking of the courts, the decision has finally been reached as to whether Led Zeppelin stole the tune for Stairway to Heaven from a lesser-known but excellent band known as Spirit. It was argued that an instrumental written by Spirit's singer Randy Wolf, who performed under the name Randy California, a tune known as Taurus, was disturbingly similar to Stairway to Heaven. One of our Los Angeles correspondents, Donald Rose, did note in his research that Spirit had been an opening band for Led Zeppelin at one point. So you do suspect that uh, perhaps Jimmy Page and co. had heard this tune before they came up with one of their own. But I have to say, after going on the web and listening to both very carefully, this correspondent uh, has to come down on the side of Led Zeppelin. And it hurts me to do this because I like Spirit more than I like Led Zeppelin. They didn't have a whole lot of hits, but boy, the ones they did. In fact, Mr. Marilyn, I think for our bumper music, we should go out with Spirit's Got a Line on You. I had to personally take that one over anything in the LZ canon. And you know what? I think I should poll the other member of our team here, Mr. McMillan, because he actually is a guitarist in his own right. And I want to ask you, sir, where do you come down on this controversy? I would have to say that barely on the side of Led Zeppelin, just there are enough differences that would constitute it being original. I think a lot of other tunes have more similarities that are not under contention. Well, there you go. I do have to say head-to-head, I think that Stairway to Heaven is a better tune than Taurus. But as they say, de gustibus non est disputandum. Yeah, and I guess for those who didn't take Latin, which includes me, I never took Latin, but I do know that that does roughly translate as how much you like something isn't really a matter of dispute. After all, it is possible to actually find people who like listening to Hall & Oates. Where? Well, I'm not sure I know anybody, but I know they exist. All right, another item of follow-up I think I'll mention because it made a prominent appearance in the technology section of the current issue of The Week magazine is that perennial question, where are our flying cars? Radio Parallax has taken the position that they exist mainly in people's imaginations, also in reruns of The Jetsons. But in the wake of all of these uh, driverless cars out there, people are now saying, well, maybe we can have driverless flying cars. I have to admit, this does soften my position on the issue slightly because a driverless flying car makes a hell of a lot more sense than turning a third dimension in space over to the average nut behind the wheel. Still, all things considered, it's a dumb idea. Airspace is crowded enough as it is. Once we have every knucklehead out there flying his drone around, we're, well, we we just don't need flying cars, frankly. And no, I'm not taking a high-handed view when I say that. Apparently, back in the 19th century, some British aristocrat, when asked about the the advent of trains in the UK, said he thought they were a terrible idea. We just encourage the lower classes to move around needlessly. No, flying cars are a bad idea for a lot of reasons, but uh, that's yet another story we will continue, we hope, to follow. But at this juncture, I think we should jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly.
According to the Week magazine, it was a good week a few weeks back for bison. After President Obama officially designated the free-roaming, shaggy natives of the Great Plains as our country's official mammal. This gives buffalo, as we call them colloquially here in America, the same symbolic status, apparently, as the American bald eagle, which is America's official bird. Mr. McMillan does raise the valid question of if the bison or buffalo is uh, now America's official mammal. Is, isn't it wrong to eat jerky or steaks made from these, these uh, official mammals? Well, that's more than we know, but we, we do think we could answer a question. Well, in this case, we're quoting George Plimpton, but the, old, the age-old question is, what's the difference between a bison and a buffalo? To which Mr. Plimpton answered in his best Cockney accent, well, you can't wash your hands in a buffalo, as opposed to a bison, you see, a bison. Ooh, that may be the worst joke I've ever used on Radio Parallax. We'd better move on. We would note that one week last month, I'm not sure which one, it was a bad week for the Chinese, apparently, because Queen Elizabeth II was evidently caught on camera during a garden party saying that Chinese officials had been very rude during a state visit to the UK by President Xi Jinping. The British government was eagerly trying to boost trade ties with China. And speaking of China, it was apparently an ugly week last week for efforts to boost tourism in China, with the news that a Chinese village's plan to attract tourists by inviting a troop of wild monkeys to live there went awry. Yes, apparently the aggressive primates took over the village. The story is that the residents of Shen Feng relocated 73 rhesus macaques to their village from nearby hills back in 2003, hoping to attract wealthy eco-tourists. But the macaque population quickly swelled, and by last year there were more than 600 primates who were eating crops, trashing homes, and biting locals, as well as tourists. Residents evidently captured and returned 300 macaques to the wild, but another 300 defiantly remain. Village chief Hei Yulang said, There are now more monkeys than villagers. All right, let's, let's round out some potpourri of material that we've accumulated here. I do want to note that a long item, which we could have used for our good news for this week's program, I think I will uh, cite at this moment. I think we made passing mention of the fact on last week's show that a judge has now said no to the long-fought Delta water plan. We do hope to bring water expert Dan Bacher back on the program to talk about this and other water-related issues. But to quote from a piece in the Bee by Ryan Sabalo, in a decision that could delay or complicate Governor Jerry Brown's plan to build two huge tunnels in the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta, a Superior Court judge ruled last Friday that a comprehensive management plan for the estuary is no longer valid. Hello. Sacramento Superior Court Judge Michael P. Kenny ruled that the entire Delta plan must be set aside until deficiencies he noted in an earlier ruling are fixed. State officials say they plan to appeal. Well, they would. 
Sabala's article notes that this ruling is significant for a couple of key reasons. For one, in order for the Brown administration to build the tunnel, state officials will have to prove that the project complies with the recommendations laid out in the Delta Plan for managing land use and water exports in the fragile estuary. With the plan in flux and an appeals process underway, the already lengthy approval process for the tunnels could face significant delays. Here's the part I find amusing. The ruling also could hinder habitat restoration work and development protections that the plan calls for to shore up the Delta's declining ecosystem. If anyone thinks this plan is about re- restoring the ecosystem, please write us at info at radioparallax.com. We would like to do some real estate transactions with you. This is about shipping more water south, first, last, and in the middle. We promise to continue to follow this story. Um, There's also a little piece in in the B that I I found curious. It was an editorial, June 28th, by Rob Jackson and Mary Kang. They're professors at Stanford University's School of Earth, Energy, and Environmental Science. They apparently did a study of California's groundwater and found out that we have a lot more of it down deeper than we suspected. The punchline was there's a windfall of water below our feet. Now that we know it's there, California should start planning how to best use or save it. We would emphasize save it would be what we should do, not use it. Their studies apparently looked into a lot of mischief going on with groundwater. Things like fracking, things like injection wells where pollutants are basically disposed of by putting down into the underground water supply. You know, I first heard about that when I was in the ninth grade, about the time that, you know, uh, our first Earth Day was coming on online. I remember being astonished at what a bad idea it was to pump pollutants down into the ground. Unfortunately, 40 plus years later, we're still doing it. And of course, fracking depends on injecting things in the ground to break up ancient geologic strata to extract more methane, which may turn out to be one of history's worst ideas. And yes, when we get Dan Bacher on this show, we're going to talk about the fact that apparently there's fracking going on offshore, off the California coast, in old wells. Stay tuned. All right, here's an item from the Duh file. Apparently people are surprised by the fact that um, putting up a slightly larger fence to stop folks from jumping off the 730-foot-tall Forest Hill Bridge, which is the tallest in California, well, it's not working. People are now using ladders and climbing over those, uh, those fences and still committing suicide. Yes, believe it or not, raising a fence from 4 feet 6 to 6 feet 6 has proven inadequate to stopping people who are determined to end their own life. We've been rather skeptical on this program about the idea that you're going to stop suicides on the Golden Gate Bridge by putting up a net below the bridge. We raised the reasonable objection. We think that... That just means now you've got to jump twice, once into the net and then once out of it. Of course, some people's idea is, let's make the fence even taller. Since the six-foot-six fence was thwarted by a guy bringing a ladder with him last time, I guess that just means you've got to go and get a bigger ladder in the future. I don't know. Sorry to sound callous about this, but but honestly, um, a lot should be done to prevent suicides, without a doubt. But I think, you know, on bridges, taller fences are, are, are... ineffective. Speaking of ineffective, I had quite a laugh in my clinic last week talking to someone who uh, used to be a prison guard, among other jobs that he had. 
And uh, we got to talking about the success of the Richard Nixon-induced war on drugs in America. The patient offered the opinion that it was hard to think of anything in history that was less effective. Nevertheless, it is our sneaking suspicion here on this program that the same people running our ineffective war on drugs now have doctors in the crosshairs and are trying to convince everybody that there is a giant epidemic of misuse and overuse of opiates in this country. Let's just say we are skeptical. In recent months, federal agencies and state health officials have urged doctors to first treat patients without using opioids, which is reasonable enough, but some have announced plans on how to restrict how many pain pills a doctor can prescribe. This is probably not such a good idea. Yes, there's bad actor doctors out there that, um, that you know, overprescribe without a doubt. Well, why don't we focus on them? As a physician who's been treating people in primary care for over 30 years, I would say yes, people try to con me all the time. And I've occasionally been conned. On the other hand, an awful lot of suffering people out there are very reluctant to use opioids, which can give them relief, because they're afraid of, quote, getting addicted, unquote. The truth of the matter is that if you have an addictive personality, you're going to be smoking cigarettes and other things, and you're going to be drinking, you're going to be using drugs, and you're going to be altering your consciousness in an uncontrolled fashion. However, that is not 95% of the population. I have a friend right now who's just undergone surgery for cancer, and they have her on morphine, which I think is good because she doesn't tolerate a lot of other drugs very well. And even though morphine has this you know, terrible reputation going back to the Civil War where admittedly soldiers did, did get addicted to it, it's probably the drug of choice for her. And if she's like most people, post-operative, and I expect that she will be, when the need for pain relief ends, so will the use of the opiates. Now, to give, I think, some perspective on, on this, this idea of how the anti-opiate mania is sweeping the country, we now have federal health officials investigating sometimes deadly overdoses of Imodium. Yes, Imodium and other similar over-the-counter drugs, which you may well have used, dear listener, to control diarrhea, are opiates. One of the reliable effects of opiates is to slow your gut. It's a terrible side effect of people that have to use pain relievers. But apparently abusers have gotten wind of the fact that there's <laughs> that this is an opiate, and uh, some of them try to achieve heroin-like highs by taking massive overdoses, up to 300 milligrams at once, according to cases that are in the medical literature. Now, recommended doses range between 8 milligrams and 16 milligrams. So, yes, if you take 35 times the recommended dose of something, you, you may run into some trouble. I note that the FDA... They're at it again. They warn doctors and patients that drugs can cause potentially deadly heart problems when taken at higher than recommended levels. Yeah, I'd say 35 times the recommended dose. Just, you know, it just stands to reason may cause some problems. But uh, I have to read on this piece. The agency has received 31 reports of people hospitalized due to the heart problems, including 10 deaths over the last 39 years. Yes, 10 deaths in 39 years. An epidemic is clearly sweeping the nation. 
<laughs> and, but no, the article notes that the National Poison Centers reported a 71% increase in calls involving Imodium containing drugs between 2011 and 2014. So over a three-year period, it goes up 71%, and it's headline news. Of course, and what do the authors of this paper, which appeared in the Annuals of Emergency Medicine, recommend we do about it? Well, of course, restrict over-the-counter sales of the anti-diarrheal drugs, just like they uh, did with pseudoephedrine, which is a very effective decongestant, but can be processed into methamphetamine by certain knuckleheads. The article does report that in the wake of this, uh, this news about an epidemic of, of, of opioid use in the country, um, some people who are addicted reportedly are attempting to wean themselves off those drugs by substituting the anti-diarrheal drugs. I don't know. I just think on this issue, a lot of people are full of crap. All right, I'm Douglas Everett. This program was produced by Edward McGillan. You have been listening to Radio Parallax. We will see you next week at which time we hope to flesh out the show with a full hour of original material. Got to tell you something, go right to your head.